McMaster University has over 210,000 alumni living in 140 countries around the world, and they are some of the most amazing people you would ever want to meet. Unconventional will introduce you to some of our alumni who are working to make our world a brighter place in their own unique way. Join me, Karen McQuig, Alumni Director at MAC, as we meet alumni in the arts, cutting edge entrepreneurs, alumni leading the way in health, technology, education, and more, as we learn the moments that their path from MAC became unconventional. I'm very pleased today to have Michael Lee Chin, a graduate of McMaster, join us on our podcast, Unconventional. Michael, it's so nice to see you. Hello. So I'm going to start off with, um, you were born and raised in Jamaica. So if you were to sum up your childhood in three words, what would they be and why? Uh, firstly, being born in Jamaica, I was, uh, I felt I could achieve any ambition I had for myself. So I was, I grew up in an environment that made me a confident person. Uh, I grew up in a small rural uh, town uh, it, uh, with 10,000 people. And so it was small enough that we, 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 we it was like, like a village. So, so, so I grew up to be a confident person with high aspirations. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be born to uh, a mother who had high standards of expectations. And, uh, I'm, and on the other hand, I was fortunate enough not to have had any, uh, any experiences that would have been deleterious to my confidence. So that is the luck part. So actually, the, 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 three, the three items I mentioned were really, I was blessed. You were blessed. I didn't, I didn't choose the country. I didn't choose my mother. And I didn't choose not to have bad experiences. So I was blessed. I, bless, I was blessed in all three areas. <laughs> That's a good way to do it. Say it. Um, so, how, so can you share with us how you came, you know, you grew up in Jamaica and then you ended up in Hamilton at McMaster in the, uh, in the early 70s to study civil engineering. So how did, how did that journey happen? How did I get to Mac? Okay, yeah. so this is, this, is a, this is a funny story because I was working at, as a lab technician after high school uh, and at an, at an alumina plant. And there was a Canadian engineer there who I became friends with. He was from Waterloo. And so he, he encouraged me to apply to a Canadian university. So at the time I, I was, I, I said to myself, okay, I'm gonna, I, I had saved $2,000 necessary. That was this tuition room and board uh, necessary the, in 1970, $2,000 for everything. So I'd save $2,000. So what I'll do, I will apply to a bunch of universities, uh, including McMaster. And the first one to sends me an acceptance letter that's the one I'm going to go to. <laughs> so luck, so Karen, luck again for us. <laughs> yeah. So Karen, it was, it was, it was not scientific. I said, I, as far as I'm concerned, I don't really differentiate between one university or the next in yeah. Canada. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Right. So the first one that have, uh, accepts me, I will ac accept. And if none, I was accepted by none, I said, I'll take my $2,000 and buy a Triumph TR7, Ooh. which is a, a small sports car then. <laughs> I, still, I still don't have not bought a Triumph TR7. So that's one thing I have to get around to do. Yeah, that's, that's probably on your bucket list. <laughs> yes. So when you, uh, what was the best lesson you learned while you were at McMaster? Was it inside or outside of the classroom? Well, you know, when I first came to McMaster, obviously I was disoriented coming to Canada in September. First time I'm leaving my family. Mm -hmm. where I'm from a close, a very close family, uh, nine siblings, eight siblings, uh, and we just, we're, we're very close. So I was very disoriented. So when I, unfortunately, I got, uh, I, I got, accepted into residence actually when i first came the very first day on arriving i i wasn't accepted in residence so i lived uh off campus i, I got a room off campus yeah and then a, a week or so later uh, i got accepted to mckay hall oh mckay yeah mckay I hall yeah. that was the first year mckay became co-ed co-ed yeah prior to that it was a, a female residence so in terms of uh, lifelong lesson, what it would have been, I, I found a campus because it's a campus setting. McMaster is on a campus setting, a large camp, relatively large campus. I've, and for the first three months until uh, the end of this, uh, uh, the first semester, mm -hmm. I had not i didn't leave had the need to leave campus at all i was self 100 self-sufficient so i found the campus to have been nurturing uh convenient uh, i found uh the course to have been rigorous uh so it's the nurturing aspect of it that make again helped me to become more confident well, it's interesting because, you know, when you think about it, McMaster for all of us, especially if you move into residence, it's the, often it's the first time you've really been on your own living with another, you know, and you're living with your peers. Um, did you learn any uh, life lessons from your peers on your floor in McKay that you've carried through or, or was it just, you know, I remember my time in Woodstock Hall as some of the best, the best years, you know, at university, the good friends, good times. Did, you know, did you have that experience as well? Well, well, my first uh, roommate, he was an immigrant and he was a Greek Cypriot. So he was, he, he was in biology. And uh, <laughs> this is a funny story. <laughs> uh, so I won't tell you his name, but every evening after, uh, evening after we had dinner at the Commons, We'd have dinner at the commons oh, before, yeah. we go, before we go to the study hall. Uh, my roommate would take out the student directory, right? Yeah. And be going through the student directory. And I'd say, What are you doing? He said, Well, he's looking for prospective girlfriends. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, what is, what, what is really uh, what, what, this fellow? He uh, did biology and he, 
eventually got into med school and became a very famous doctor. So when he got into med school, he was the most, it was a surprise. And he went to, he went to, got into Max, Mac, uh, Max Med School. Yeah. It was, he was the most, people thought he was the most unlikely person <laughs> to have gotten in. And those of us who know him very well, we thought so even more because, you know, so, so the, the point is, you know, you shouldn't judge, uh, judge someone because you know them. Uh, in, in fact, there is a saying, a prophet isn't recognized in his own land. Ah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. I so, think so. So that was one. That, that's the first answer that came to mind with yeah. that question. Um, were you an undergraduate student that had a master plan for your career? Um, and if you did, what was the master plan? What did it look like? No, I I didn't have a master plan for my career. What what I knew is after graduating from engineering, because at the time uh, we the, the, the advent of the computer was still uh, uh, young, uh, and I could see where the computer would take away a lot of the, uh, the, 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 would substitute for a lot of the work that we were being taught because they're iterative. Uh, so I, my passion, I did, I did engineering for, practice engineering for two years, but it wasn't my passion. Mm -hmm. It was not my passion. Uh, so I had no master plan to have continued in engineering. I did, I, I was, I got, eventually got a scholarship while at Mac uh, to complete engineering. The scholarship was given to me by the Jamaican government. So I had to go back and work for two years, uh, subsequent to which I came back to Canada. Uh, and uh, I, I, I wanted a job. Mm -hmm. I needed a job. So I didn't really have a master plan. I, but so I, I found that I eventually found employment outside of engineering. So when you, I guess this is maybe, I've heard you speak about this when you, after you graduated from Mac, you sent out like, let's say a hundred plus applications and you got a hundred plus um, rejections. What advice would you give to graduating students right now as they prepare to leave McMaster and enter the real world, especially one that's been impacted by a pandemic? The advice I would give is to look at uh, your university career as an education. Not, you, may, you may have specialized, as I did, in civil engineering. Uh, look at it as, a, as an ed education, as a way to network, as a mechanism to become more confident. But the primary benefit I received from it, from that four-year period, was it honed my problem-solving problem skills. That was the primary benefit I got from uh, uh, engineering specifically, it honed my problem-solving skills, and it it uh, I was naturally I am naturally not well not a shy person, but I'm not necessarily extroverted, uh, and uh, it made me more it made me confident more more confident in myself. The, the, the experience made me more confident in myself. In terms of uh, the, the, the advice to uh, graduates, I would say, you know, just be a continuous student because every job 
that I had to do. If I, I had to apply for that particular job, in every single case, I would have been turned down. I would have been turned down, rejected, because I didn't have the requisite experience. But I'm very analytical, and I'm a student. So it's the attitude of being a continuous student that has served me well. So lifelong learning is important. So what have you, um, I mean, the pandemic is a once in a once in a hundred years experience. How's the pandemic experience, you know, um, impacted your, your, your life, your work? Um, anything you've learned about yourself, Michael, during the pandemic that surprised you? Well, when we entered into the pandemic in March of 2020, I made a commitment to myself. I said to myself, I'm going to use, if we're going to be in a lockdown, if we're going to go through this period, I'm going to make sure I do everything possible to alight from this period much stronger, much stronger as a professional, much stronger as a family person, much stronger as a human, right? I'm going to just make sure because it has, it's, a, it's a pause. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't have had an opportunity to pause without, the, without this crisis. So it's, it's, it goes back to Christ, the Chinese definition of a word of the word crisis. Crisis equals danger plus opportunity. Most of us, uh, we would look at the pandemic and see all the danger associated with the pandemic. Uh, what we really should, and, and we become fearful. Mm -hmm. What we should do is realize that yes, we are in a crisis. And there are two component parts that are relevant here. One, the danger component, but there's also the opportunity component. So we should all ask ourselves in this crisis or in any crisis, where are the opportunities? Where are the opportunities that are within and without that I should be focusing on? So it has given me an opportunity to pause, reassess, uh, focus, refocus, double, redouble my efforts, go back to what made me successful, the principles that made me successful in the first place and reinvigorate them. Because over time, if you're not, if you don't, you, you know, every day you, you come to work, you are reacting, mm -hmm. you're reacting. So we don't spend enough time strategizing, thinking, planning, become enthusiastic, uh, and uh, and actually have two traits be invoked or two emotions be in invoked. Number one, the emotion of fear and the emotion of excitement. Unless you have those two emotions uh, invoked and present at the same time, it's very easy to become complacent. The antidote, the, the, the corollary of, of that is the antidote to complacency is fear and excitement in you at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's so interesting. Yeah, it, it is. And it's like interesting too, because, you know, you have a very busy life. And so carving out time to do the things that you just sort of, you know, you said you've learned from the, the pandemic. I, I, just like everybody else, you're so busy, busy, busy. You don't take that time to stop and reflect. Um, 
I wonder if that's going to change business in the way that business is, or we will just, or once everybody's vaccinated and we're back to normal, do you think we'll go back to normal? Will your work go back to normal, Michael? My, 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 uh, my work certainly won't go back to normal because as an example, I was traveling every other week. Yeah. Every other week I, would, I was traveling. Uh, I won't do that again mm -hmm. because thanks to this mode of communication, uh, it's, it, it has made me a lot more efficient. Uh, I can do a lot more throughout the world. Like I just came off a call from Germany. Wow. I was just, uh, I, I, and before I'd go to Germany for board meetings and I'd fly to Munich yep. for board meetings because it's important. But now this is a very apt substitute and we really don't lose much with video conferencing. Right. Yeah, it's having, having having uh, known the board members, but for in the, the initial few times, it, uh, it is good to have the personal interaction to develop the relationship. But thereafter, VC calls are perfect. Yes. So you've had an extraordinary career and incredible success, mm -hmm. and you often talk about being purpose driven. So can you talk to us what you mean by that and how our students and young alumni can learn from this approach? Well, early in my career, I thought I, I observed uh, successful people, eminently successful people. And one thing uh, was what was common between most of them. They're purpose driven. They, they're a disciple of something. So early in my career, I thought, Mike, you have to become a disciple of something. What is that one thing you're going to advocate for? Uh, be fervently, be passionate about, be driven by. You, 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 you work all day at it and you uh, still feel refreshed at 11 p.m., although you're dead tired. <laughs> you wake up in the morning, mornings at 5 a.m., and you bounce out of bed and get back to it. So, so when you are purpose-driven, it invokes passion. And you one cannot really ex achieve exceptional things, achievements, unless you are passionate. So being purpose-driven invokes passion and it it, 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 it will make you set you apart because you're not really working. You're just living a passionate life. Mm -hmm. You'll have no competition. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. They often say, you know, find something you love. And I think it, I think it really is important. Like if you love the work that you do, getting up, it, it doesn't feel like work. And, you know, it's, it's nice that you get paid at the end of the week, but it's something that really drives, you know, um, uh, good. It's good for your soul. You see, also, also what it does, being purpose-driven, it keeps you focused. Because today, we're, we're, we're apt to be distracted by so many things. True. Uh, and it's very easy to lose one's North Star. So being purpose-driven keeps you focused, makes you passionate, uh, and it, it will, over time, allow compounding to happen. And then that's when you get the success. 
So each life, each career has its ups and downs. What have you learned about yourself when you've had those down moments in your career? Uh, <clears throat> the, the, to go back to what made me successful in the first place, because the formula it's, that makes one successful in the first place, with success, it's easy to forget that formula. Uh, so what I did is codified the following. Success, the following dogma. Success begets complacency slash arrogance begets failure. So the <clears throat> byproduct of success is that you stop doing the things that made you successful. In other words, success begets complacency. In other words, you have just changed the formula. You change the formula, you're going to get a different end result, a different outcome. So I codified that dogma, success begets complacency, begets failure, so that I always revert to what made me successful in the first place. The routines, the intensity, the fervor, the passion, the curiosity, uh, the work ethic, uh, the care for other people, and make sure that <clears throat> in whatever I do, I never forget those characteristics that made me successful in the first place. And that actually uh, was born out of uh, when I had an opportunity to think about uh, my feelings, my failure, I then it just redoubled uh, what what I just said mentioned to you. So you're a, so you're a dad, and you're actually a father of a current McMaster student. So have you been imparting any advice to your daughter during this unprecedented times in post secondary education? How she's been doing? Well, this particular this period is unique for for all for all of us, but especially for. Uh, university students, and more so particular, in particular for first-year students, mm -hmm. because they've been used to uh, grade 12, uh, high school, being uh, very uh, regimented, very nur nur nurturing, and very uh, uh, structured. So to, to go out, to leave that environment and be, be totally on your own, uh, by having to study online, it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's falling off the precipice, <laughs> really. Uh, so what is the counsel I constantly give to my children? <laughs> I, actually, I, I, say, I say to them whenever they have an, a test, remember, this is just a test. This is just an exam. It's not going to change your life, really. You want to do well, but win, lose, or draw, your dad is with you. Oh, that's nice. That's what you want to hear from your parent. So here's a question for you. What's the hardest job you've ever had? The hardest job I've ever had <clears throat> was, uh, was, what's the hardest job I've ever had? <laughs> when, when, I, when, I was, when I was 16, when I was 16, uh, uh, Mr. Weston, from the Weston family, Mr. G Granger Weston. Uh, 
he owns a hotel in Jamaica. And my mom was is was his uh his bookkeeper. Okay. And when I was no 15, uh, 1966, he said, Mike, I'm gonna make a man of you. So I'm gonna let give you a job on my cruise ship. He had a cruise ship that plied between Miami, the Bahamas, and Jamaica. And your job would be to clean the engine room. Oh. The cruise ship. <laughs> At the time, engine rooms were not as they are now. They're noisy, mm -hmm. dirty, hot. And for the entire summer, I had to clean the engine room. But I did it. Uh, so that I would say, but actually, uh, actually, wait, so when I finished my tour of duty, Mr. Weston said to Mike, you did, you did great. You lasted. <laughs> so for that, I'm going to give you a ride in the, the hotel's helicopter. Oh, wow. Right? So <laughs> my first time in a helicopter. Yeah. Uh, so uh, later, later, when I met Mr. Weston, I said, Mr. Weston, remember that experience you gave me, sir, by, which was my reward for doing my tour of duty. You have caught, you have, you created a monster because I was so smitten by helicopters. I, I know of a fleet of helicopters, <laughs> which, which, which is not the, the, the most, which is not the, which is the absolute, uh, it, it, that, that is, uh, it's not the most prudent thing to do if you're, if you're trying to create wealth. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine a black... that's a little bit more expensive than a little sports car that you wanted to buy. <laughs> Anyway, um, so have you spoken a little bit about getting out of your comfort zone? What did you learn or how did you learn to do that? Or is that something you've always felt comfortable with? <laughs> I've always had to be out of my comfort zone. And, you know, it, because when I came back to Canada, I had to uh, I couldn't get a job in engineering. Uh this was in 1976, two years after I graduated. I had three job offers. The first being, uh, the first being to, to be a long haul truck driver. The second being to be a soap salesman. And the third being to sell mutual funds. Now, uh, I went and worked for a company, Investors Group. It was, then it was Investors Syndicate. And they gave me five days training, and then I had to go and sell. But just mutual funds are bought by people who have money. And at 26, at age 26, being an immigrant, I knew no one with money. So I had to knock on doors, I had to cold call. So I had to get out of my comfort zone because as I said earlier, I am not an extroverted person, right? I'm quite happy uh, being on my own. I keep my own company happily. Uh, so I had to be, I had to go out, train myself to overcome the anxiety, the fear of cold calling. Uh, that's the first thing. Second thing is, uh, uh, I had to learn to public speak because I thought, you know, if I'm going to be really successful, I have to be able to speak to audiences from one to a million people, doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Confidently, 
passionately uh, in a believable way, right? I have to be able, I have to be comfortable doing that. So I have to learn to public speak. So what I did, <clears throat> actually, there was, a, I, I, uh, I, I enlisted the services of this, this uh, lady who taught uh, at McMaster. Uh, her name was Miss, Mrs. Natalie Emmett. Mm -hmm. And she taught in the, uh, the, in the drama, in the drama the, the department. So she, she taught drama. Uh, so I enlisted her services to help me to become a better public speaker. Well, to, be, to become a public speaker, mm -hmm. to become a speaker. For that matter. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I had to overcome many uh, weaknesses and I've had to swim upstream and over time, in fact, even in business, because my, I've always thought axiomatically, foundationally. And in, in the only reason I'm here today is because I, I am an observant person. And I realize that the industry that I'm in, the securities industry, has many faults and many dysfunctionalities. And I identified one big dysfunctionality. And when you're going against the grain, mm -hmm. you always have to be swimming upstream. You always have to think long-term because you have a lot of naysayers. You're going against the grain. You're going against tradition, customs, what is accepted, right? Uh, and you always, so therefore you always, there's always self-doubt. But once you have been through your, uh, your, 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 once you have concluded that what you're doing is the right thing, self-doubt uh, self will be overcome. Naysayers will be overcome. But again, these are all energy that you have to utilize to keep going forward. So I've always had to swim upstream in everything I've done because I just don't accept what I see. I have to think about what I see to ask, does this make sense? If it doesn't make sense, whether or not it's the accepted norm, I'm going to go against it if it doesn't make sense, which is what I've always done. Uh, and I can give you numerous examples of that. So because in life, as a professional, actually, there are three things one has to get right uh, as a professional or as a business person, or even as a business, or even as a university. Number one, you have to build the best possible reputation. Number two, you have to differentiate yourself in the marketplace. And number three, you, con you constantly have to be relevant to customers. Now, it's the differentiation of oneself in the marketplace that will always pit you against everybody else. So you, you always have to be prepared. If, you're, if, you're, if you are to be differentiated, by definition, you have to be different. Right. Therefore, you have to be swimming upstream constantly <laughs> if you're different. I'm, I'm always going to think of you now like a salmon swimming upstream. Michael yeah. Lee Chin, the salmon. <laughs> um, so what's next for you, Michael? What, have, you, have you thought about like, what would you want your legacy to be from your, you know, your career and your life? 
what I'd like my legacy to be is for to 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 for students, for my children, for anyone who is interested, to realize that uh, what you are today doesn't necessarily mean that you should continue that trajectory. Right? None of us was put on earth to be one thing, mm -hmm. a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, right? We, we, we have, we have uh, a lot more in us than just one thing. So we should not, we, 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 we should explore other things. Like uh, I am today focusing on an area that a year, three years ago, I would never have thought that I would be involved with is biotechnology. Okay. Right? Yeah. It's biotechnology. So what do I know about biotechnology? I, I, I knew nothing about biotechnology three years ago. Right. But today uh, I've schooled myself, I've educated myself, I have invested in biotechnology. I'm a director of a, 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 a very successful German biotechnology company. Uh, and this is an era in which I have pivoted my business because it's the way of the future. Mm -hmm. uh, as I said, uh, every job I've had to do, I would not have qualified had I, if I had to have had applied, if I had to have, uh, have applied to a, to a company to have gotten the job, right. but I had to do it. So I had to learn. So my legacy, I want one for, uh, for my children, starting with the first concentric circle. Z secondly, those who know me. Thirdly, those who are interested in uh, learning from others to realize that you can be anything you want. It's not just, it's not a cliche. It's not a cliche. If your attitude is one of confidence, one of being a self learner, yeah. right? Uh, and one of being again confident in yourself that uh, you whatever challenge you take on you're going to wrestle it to the ground until you're successful so as we get close to the end of our questions for the podcast one of the things we like to do is ask people a few rapid fire questions so i'm going to pick a few and and, and uh, ask away of you so your favorite memory of mcmaster favorite memory of mcmaster the downstairs john ah i love that place as well <laughs> There's, is there is the downstairs John still? No, sadly, the downstairs John is gone. But I had many memories, good memories, yes. of the downstairs John. <laughs> Some which are probably not appropriate for a podcast like <laughs> you as well. But yeah, yeah, no, that was good. Um, what book or podcast are you listening or reading to right now? Uh, there, there is, you know, there's a, I have another dogma. Okay. It goes like this. You want to be successful at any endeavor. There's a three-step formula that will always get you there. Number one, identify a role model. Okay. Number two, get the recipe from the role model. And number three, don't change the recipe. Execute it faithfully. So early, and we are fortunate. In fact, every, every young person should set out to seek a role model for, uh, for, for, for themselves. Every young person, right? Uh, so early in my career, I thought it was important to be to identify role models. Mm -hmm. So one of the role uh, models I identified was Mr. Warren Buffett. 
early in my career, 1978. So he was not very well known then. And his, his right-hand person is Charlie Munger. Uh, Mr. Munger would be, would be 96 today. Hmm. I'm reading a book. It's called Poor Charlie's Almanac by Charlie T. Munger. Okay. So yeah. you, um, you mentioned mentoring. I imagine you mentor you since you look for role models, I'm sure you're, you're a mentor yourself. Is that, is that, you see, that's part of your important yeah. legacy is to be a mentor. Very much so. Very much so. Um, what living person do you most admire? What living person do I most admire? <clears throat> uh, when it comes to finance investing, I would say Warren Buffett because he has governed his life based on uh, making decisions uh, with frameworks. He governs his life. He overarches his decision-making by always defaulting to frameworks, which gives him the ability to control his emotions. And over time, you make, you make decisions that are consistent you, you start compounding and become better at making good decisions. You get the compounding effect and you'll have great outcome over time. So Mr. Buffett, as far as business is concerned, would be someone I really admire for his discipline and his framework-driven uh, decision-making process. Mm -hmm. the, on a personal basis, uh, the person I most admire is my mother. Mm because my mother, she is an orphan. And when she had me, she was 18 years old and she, she, was, uh, she didn't have a job. So she was taken in by the helpers of the local supermarket, us, her and I. My, my, my father had emigrated to England before I was born. So it was just her and I. So the helpers of the local supermarket took us both in. So for, six, for the first six months, she didn't have a job. And we were both taken care of. Uh, at the time, the natural trajectory for Jamaican young ladies uh, was to emigrate to England and do nursing. She refused. She said, no way. I'm going to leave my baby with grandma and go to England to do nursing. I'm going to stick with him and nurture him to be the best possible, possible person. So she is my role model. Why? Because she has demonstrated a values-based life. She's also values-based. She's also disciplined and she leads by example. And she's, she has demonstrated commitment. She has demonstrated advocacy uh, and she's just, uh, at the same time, care for others. Oh, that's nice. What piece of advice would you offer your first-year self? So think of you arriving at McMaster. If you could give your, your first-year self a piece of advice, what would it be? First, my first-year self, I would say, you know, remember that uh, we should, don't forget what the eighth wonder of the world which is, as per Mr. Albert Einstein, it's compounding. The eighth one of the world is compounding. So don't forget 
that the, 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 the line graph of the compound equation would look like what we call in Canada, Canada, the hockey stick curve. Right. Right. So you go, when you start any endeavor, you have to go along the handle of the hockey stick. So it's kind of flat. So you're going to put out a lot of effort and your expectation will be that I should get a proportionate amount of return. But life doesn't work like that. Life works is well defined by that hockey stick curve or compounding, the exponential curve or parabolic. You put out a lot of effort. Your expectations are linear, that you should get a linearly amount, a uh, proportionate amount of return. That's, that's not going to happen. You'll get a disproportionately low amount of result for an extraordinary amount of effort. And that will continue until you start going up the gradient of the curve, which is at the, 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 the tip of the hockey stick, right? You pass an inflection point right in that nook. And before, between the time you start and you get to that inflection point, it's 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 you put out a lot of effort and you get a disproportionately low amount of return but once you have passed that inflection point by because you have persevered because you have had a framework you're disciplined once you have passed that inflection point it flips you know put out a little bit of effort and you get a disproportionately large amount of uh outcome so but most of us along the way here we give up so one will only not give up because one is purpose-driven, one is focused on the long-term, one is focused on, I'm going to persevere because I'm building my reputation. I'm going to persevere because I want, I, I, I'm, I have to be differentiated to be, in the, to be competitive in the marketplace eventually. And I'm going to persevere so because I want to make sure that I uh, will ultimately be a successful person. And I know I have to go through that arduous stick of the hockey stick before yep. I start going up the gradient and things become a lot more, it flips. So my last question to you this morning is, one song that best describes your time at McMaster? Don't worry. Be, uh, don't worry. What's Bob Marley's song? Don't worry. Uh, it's not don't worry, be happy. It's something like that. But don't just not worry about immediate things too much. And I'd summarize it by <laughs> a conversation I had with my mom. Uh, you know, when, when, we were, when I was leaving Jamaica in 1970, my eight siblings plus my dad, my stepdad, and my mom came to the airport to bid me goodbye. And she was upset and nervous and cried that her son was going away. She was fearful of fearful and stressed. So my first uh, set of exams at the end of the semester, she was nervous and fearful for me because she just didn't know how I was going to do. Right. When I got my first job, she was nervous and fearful. So later in life, I said, Mom, think about it. Are you nervous and fearful about today? About uh, when I left Jamaica in 1970, she said, no. 
How about when I, when I had to take my first set of exams? Are you still nervous and fearful? No. But so you see, things worked out, mom. So what, so what does that tell you? You should be, yes, I understand it's natural to be nervous and fear, but you shouldn't let it paralyze you. Yes. Right? Uh, uh, and as I said earlier, the antidote to complacency is there has to be some fear, some nervousness, but mixed with excitement. Yeah. When you have those two together, it's fantastic. Oh, well, this has just been a wonderful conversation, Michael. And I really want to thank you for joining us on our podcast, Unconventional. Um, it's been a pleasure to just, you know, have a lovely conversation with you and learn a little bit more and get some advice for um, our graduating students and our young alumni as we, um, you know, as we work through this series to showcase successful like, alumni such as yourself. Um, and we really appreciate you taking time today to have a, have a chat with us. My pleasure.